It's rare when a film director actually directs one of their kin. Think about it. John Huston and Angelica Huston with Pritzi's Honor and the Dead, and Francis Ford Coppola with Sofia Coppola and Godfather Three. Ben is Back is a family story about Peter Hedges' life. It's a connection between his mother and his son, Lucas. And this is the story of how Peter Hedges got his Oscar-nominated son, Lucas, to star in Ben is Back. The, the first question I have is, the inspiration for this story, is it, is it based on a true story of some, some, it's very believable that this could be one's own child. Right. Well, I, neither of my sons have a, suffer from heroin or opioid misuse or abuse, if you will, um, or addiction. Um, but I did grow up in a family uh, ravaged by alcoholism. And I, as a young boy, my mother drank, and I didn't know her as a sober person until I was 15 when she stopped drinking. So I grew up in a family that revolved around addiction. And um, I knew when I lost a close friend and then my favorite actor ever overdosed and died, both to opioids and heroin, and, and then we nearly lost a relative of mine, not from my immediate family, but a close relative, that something new was happening and it was impacting a lot of people I loved. And so I wanted to write something about the opioid heroin epidemic. I just didn't know what to write. I also wanted to write a love story about a family um, because in my experience, while you can't maybe... Uh, stop someone uh, you can't you can't remove the disease from their life um, sometimes the indefatigable if that's the word love that that undying love that unwillingness to give up on another person can make a difference and I wanted to write I wanted to write the that story and also the story of a person who'd made some mistakes who was, sick with the disease, but was trying so hard to turn their life around. And I found that having those two characters that were so, I rooted for in such a way that I, it made writing this script as joyful as it could be writing about a topic such as as hard as this one. Did, did this take a while to come out? Like, was this always in the back of your head? No. But it great question. I, I, the amount of research I did um, between those untenable losses and when I started to write was about a four-year period of uh, m much of my free time was spent researching, talking with people, making notes, lining my uh, office walls with pictures of people who'd overdosed and died, people I didn't know. So I was immersed in it, but I didn't have a story. And then I took a playwriting workshop uh, in an effort to just see what would happen if I put myself more into a, a student mindset or a young person's mindset of just and and we got assignments each week in the first three weeks I wrote nine pages over those three weeks and I knew I had something I then gave up all my other work quit projects I was either going to direct or I was adapting carved out six weeks said you have six weeks. You don't have to worry about the mortgages, 
mortgage. Um, mortgages that sound like I'm Donald Trump. <laughs> the, the mortgage, uh, anything. I mean, just six weeks to, to gift myself. It's not always the strongest verb, but it's what I felt like I was doing. I gave myself a period of time to write like the wind. And five weeks and five days later, I had a first draft. And I brought actors over to my house. We had a bunch of young actors living in our house because uh, my kids have moved out. So often we have young artists live with us in the summer who are just starting out. And they would read pages. And after five weeks and five days, I knew I had a script that I wanted to make as quickly as possible. And I rewrote for another month. And then we sent the script to Julia Roberts. Now, I'm fascinated by... The, you you took a playwriting class. It was a I wouldn't say it was a class. It was a writer's workshop, and you could write you could write poetry in this workshop, or you could write plays. I I happened to write three pages of it. We'd bring in three pages a week, and I just brought in over three successive weeks three pages of a screenplay. So I had nine pages, and it felt you could feel it in the room when it, the pages were read. I went, oh, this is. I think I now know what the story is. One of the challenges in writing a story about addiction, and my own experience with the many people in my life who suffer from it, I get very frustrated with the the cycle. It's just, it's unending. They get together, they slip. They get together, they slip. And And I realized if I told a story over a short period of time, the likelihood that that cycle that cycle can only happen maybe once in that day, um, but also, what if we started from a place where the the, the person who's suffering um, from the disease has some recovery? They're doing pretty well, and not well enough that they should be putting themselves. There's a concept in the twelve step rooms: person, places, and things. You try to avoid the people, places, and things that could trigger you. So often, in one of my research jaunts, I heard an interview with a young man who had been doing pretty well, but he said, the reason I'm doing well is because I don't go back home. And my family understands I cannot go back home. And when I heard that, I went, okay, what if a fictional person had to come back home? Or, or ached to come back home, or that's what the mother wanted because it was a holiday. So once I heard that, I thought, oh, then it can be about a day. And in recovery program, the phrase, the probably the most famous mantra in, in the 12-step rooms is one day at a time. You see it on bumper stickers all the time. And I thought, so many of the films I love, the celebration, um, it takes place over a weekend. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon takes place, you know, over a, an afternoon. But films that have a compression of time are often my most favorite films because they feel like I'm. They feel more real to me. They feel less movie-ish and more real. And I felt for this story to be as impactful as possible, the the, the story I could help tell would be one that was um, had a compression of time. And, and started from a place of someone who had some recovery and there was hope. But we knew from the minute he returned home, there was peril. Even though we don't necessarily know why, you can feel it. 
in the way everyone reacts around him. That was the interesting hook in the movie mm. was the fact that his his hand his his um his uh, sponsor told him he shouldn't go home, and it totally makes sense. You shouldn't put yourself in certain certain. You know, when you right. come out of rehab, you need to cut off connections with people that trigger no, things. You do you, and you, those relationships. Yeah. And if, if you're on a diet, you don't you don't sit in McDonald's. You know, and mm -hmm. and 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 have meetings with friends. You know, you just you don't do that. If you have if you have a shopping addiction, you don't go to the mall. You know, to to read poetry. You just you you stay out of these places to minimize the the. The, the temptation. But we always think of home as a safe place. Well, that's right. Also, he comes home and says right away, my sponsor totally supported me coming home. And I, I love so much how Lucas plays that scene because if you rewatch the film and with the knowledge that you have as you, once you go through the film and you, you, you see the, the, the incredible amount of layers in, in both of their performances, but particularly his because in this regard because he's, he when is he lying? When is he telling the truth? And so um, I found myself believing him, uh, believing Ben quite a bit in this story. Other people who, you know, are very suspicious of people in recovery, uh, don't believe anything he says. So it's, it's it's been fun to hear how different people experience what feels like a lie and what feels like the truth. Now, after you wrote it, was literally your your first move, sending it to Julia Roberts, or did you send it to Color Force first? Oh, great question. Like, what was the pro? Because um, fair enough. What I'm getting to is getting dramas off the ground in this day and age. I, I, feature dramas. I, I honestly think any film that gets made that's about a serious subject that you know doesn't involve, and I love these films, but you know. IP that's that we all know and love, either a remake of a Disney classic or a Marvel comic, or you, I it, I root for every movie that gets made because you are completely correct. It is, I've been around a long time, thirty six years. I've been doing this work, and it it's harder to get these stories told. It's it's just it just is. Um, in in and hope that they get they get a theatrical release and I mean I think there are lots of things important stories being told in lots of new ways which is exciting so what I did was I made a list of um, producers one of the liberating parts of writing this and I'm digressing but then I will get pick that up I promise was that as I started to write it I knew I was making it I knew it would be made because I was willing to sell my house to make it. I'm just prepared. Now I had to, of course, would have to navigate that with my wife, but say, we need to, we need to, if no one will make this movie, it needs to be made. I felt that strongly about it, which um, hasn't happened often with my original stories. Usually I go, ah, I think the world doesn't need this this much, but this felt that urgent, and and I needed to tell the story that much. So I made a list of producers who, based on their pedigree and their previous films, seemed like these are good ideas. But I had a long relationship with Nina Jacobson. She I'd worked for her when she was at Disney, 
and uh, I didn't get she they let her go from Disney right before we started to film Dan in real life a film I would only make knowing that she was there at that time she's just great being one of my favorite people in this wacky world of film and so I sent it to her more because I wanted her to see that I'd written something I was proud of more as a friend I didn't feel like the size of this movie was something she'd want to jump at so I was planning the following week to send the script but I felt like this is a relationship was important to me let's show it to Nina she read it in 93 minutes. I know because I sent it by email and 93 minutes later, she texted me back and said, I'm, I'm getting on a plane. I need to make this film with you. And I went, you're kidding. She sent it to Brad, her partner, producing partner. He felt strongly too. And I never went to try to find another producer. We started talking and we said, well, we need to attach Holly. We need to find a Holly. And Julia Roberts with, well, I think it's evident when you see her in the film why somebody would want her to be in the film. But she's been my favorite movie star as long as I've been. I'm a bit older than her, but for for as long as she's been a movie star, which is a long, most of my life, uh, she's been my favorite movie star. I think she's a great, great actress. And it felt like she could capture both the fragility and the ferocity of this character. And there's no vanity to her work. She she's all in and and I the only thing was I felt like she won't do the film because she's so committed to her family and she's only I I could I figured out she'd only left home once in 14 years to do a film and not brought her kids with her and this was going to shoot in December and January she read the script and uh, she felt it was a, a a part she wanted to play in a story she needed to help tell and within very quickly got a response that she was interested i met with her came list armed with a list of actors to play ben because lucas not only was lucas not available um he i had never imagined he would do the film because we'd always under had an understanding more mostly coming from him that he wasn't going to be in my films he just want he said he has wonderful directors he works with. I mean, the list is insane for no someone offense. 21. No <laughs> offense, Dad. But Greta and Kenny and Martin, I'd rather work with them. But 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 I'd rather have you be my dad. And, you know, he didn't say it that way. But that was – and I got it. I well, understood it. To this point, it's rare that I, – I, I mean, I was trying to think of instances. You know, we've always – you know, I think I think Kirk and Mike – Douglas did a movie together. John you, Huston and Je- Angelica Huston. That's right. In the, and Francis Ford Coppola and, and Sophia, Sophia I've thought about this. Oh, that's great. It's very rare. Angelica was was John's last film. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and here here's the difference. Well, they did two together. They did Princess Honor and they that's did right. The Dead. That's right. The difference yeah. is John Huston and Francis Ford Coppola are geniuses. And I am not. The other difference is Lucas is a brilliant actor. He's a brilliant. Sophia Coppola is a brilliant director. Brilliant. I mean, one of my favorite directors. Um, Angelica Houston's a brilliant actor. That was brilliance and brilliance. Um, I, I would not equate these two. I'm, 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 I'm very proud of my film, and I'm, I'm not being, I'm not underselling myself. I, I just understand that I, I know when there's a master or a, in the room, and and I, I, I learned a lot making this film. Um, 
why it was so impactful to me that Lucas would agree to do the film. Really, at Julia's, I, I never thought of him doing it. I never believed it was a possibility till Julia said that's what she wanted. And then I knew I had to navigate what she wanted and what Lucas might want. And all I asked for Lucas to do once he became available, because he wasn't available, but then the project he was to do went away. I said, let's just have a conversation and see if, if, if there's a version of this that would be exciting and wonderful. Because there's no value in us doing this. You, you, you don't owe me a thing. You don't, he didn't need to do the film. He would have had a wonderful fall uh, last year if he had a break after Boy he's Erased. He's wonderful in it. And, and he's so wonderful in Boy Erased in mid-90s. He's doing his Broadway play. He didn't need to come do Dad's film. Why it was so impactful to me and in ways I couldn't have imagined was that I'm the son of Carol Hedges, who was an alcoholic, who found recovery and saved a lot of lives. But he's her grandson. And so I would not have become a writer or a a wannabe actor who turned into a playwright, who turned into a novelist, who became a screenwriter, who became a filmmaker. I wouldn't have had that path if my mother had not found sobriety because that my whole life blossomed once I had a mother who loved me and believed in me in those 22 and a half years. So I wouldn't have written Gilbert Grape. I wouldn't have done the things I've gotten to do. However one feels about my work, they, none of it would have happened. I, I'm, I'm confident. So anything I make is an extension of my mother's sobriety, the gift she gave me by saving her life. So for Lucas to do this film, regardless of how the world perceives it, whatever, Carol Hedges' grandson comes and gives this performance that is so multi-layered, so complex, so rich with nuance, and the, the shame and the ache of someone who's stuck in the disease, the, the charm and the 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 wonder of someone who you get a sense of what this young man could be if he wasn't in the throes of the disease. So it's it's very it it makes this the most special project of in a and where I've had several in my life that have great meaning to me. The, this just takes the cake for me because it it's such a an extension of 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 my mom's heroic turnaround which happened with, with the help of a lot of people and and then and then to see to see it manifest in Lucas's uh, I, I think stunning work in this film and he didn't see this coming it was all at Julia's suggestion that that, that... I, I think a, a couple of things happened one um, the script got leaked uh, the there's a community 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 I'll try to say the word right community of young actors that uh, it's really impressive how supportive they are of each other they all know each other they talk they text they don't call each other the way maybe we did when we were kids so you don't know who's talking to who but he started to hear from remarkable young actors who'd read the script saying dude your dad wrote this and he and and he, I think that was a source of pride for him that these young actors who were his peers who he admires so much were saying your dad wrote a really cool script 
And then he asked to read it. And he read it from a place of support. He knew that I wanted to get back to making a film like Pieces of April or Gilbert Grape. I had this great ache to be back making urgent uh, films that were less uh, studio-based, but more un- uncompromised. Not, uh, Although I'm very proud of that work I did, I just wanted to get to something urgent and necessary. And I think he just wanted to support me and say, Dad, keep going. You've got it. And I, I expected when he read it, he was going to say, I, I think of the people that want to be in this film, these three or four are the ones you should really meet with. That's what I expected. But by that point, Julia had started sending me pictures of Julia with her one son who has red hair. And she would say, look how young men with red hair do with me. We, we get along. And, and my wife said, you can't show those pictures to Lucas because it's just going to put pressure on him. And I, was very, I didn't want to pressure him. I wanted him to know the movie was going to happen. Yes, Julia would like him to do the movie, but he doesn't need to do the film. He has to want to do the film. And when he read the script, and then we had a a very, really remarkable conversation in our basement where we talked about two moments in the script and we talked about his costume, what might be his costume and how, what that might look like. But mainly these two moments in the script. And that conversation went for three hours. And when that conversation was over, I thought, the way we spoke, and he called me Peter in the conversation, and we were writer and director talking. We were collaborators, just imagining what, how we would handle certain moments in the script. When that conversation happened, I thought, oh, th- this, this could work if we're, if we're careful and we're, we're thoughtful. Because you work so hard to have a, a strong relationship with your kids if you're a parent. And, and if you get to a point where you have that, you don't want to risk it. And, and I, I certainly, um, I didn't, I didn't want to go down a path that he didn't want to go down. But I think, I think he, he, as he thought about it and, and, um, he can speak for himself better than I can, of course, but, uh, it just became maybe a unique opportunity that, that I mean, I don't know how many films I, I think he's going to make a bunch more films, but I mean, every film I make, I think this may be it forever. So because it might be. I once heard that Ingmar Bergman made every he said, I make every film like it's my last because very likely it will be. And you kind of have to make them that way. They're so hard to get set up and made. And so um, I'm just so grateful that both of them wanted to come in the cold of night, in the middle of winter and make this film with me. So a simple question, but a complicated answer. Well, with how, me, probably. How did you direct him? Did oh, you did was it great question? Softer, louder? Did you let no. him just do what he wanted? No, no. Or no. were there? Did you it's, did you put him through the press? You know, the, no, it's the a presses. Great, it's a great question. I uh, increasingly uh, have become a director who is interested in creating uh, an environment that's very supportive. That's not unconditional. That means like everything is wonderful. But, but where we talk about what the scene is, what, why the scene is right where it is in the story, and, and that what needs to happen in the scene, but not how it needs to happen. So if we can understand in a moment that 
everything flips. Holly's trust goes to distrust, and Ben's 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 confidence is shattered, and he is reduced to uh, to you know to a, a vulnerable state. Now, those sound like results, but they're not results. It's just let's understand what what what's possible in a scene, and then. I basically try to develop a shooting strategy that allows the actor, as long as they're playing truthfully off each other and they're not acting their own idea of the scene and denying what their scene partner is giving them, I'm pretty good with what happens because it's it's truthful and in that moment. So then what I'll say is we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go at this a number of different ways. And I try to come in with a question or a suggestion. What if you know, what if he's not lying in this scene? What if it's the truth? What if he's lying here? I'm not telling him how to play the scene. So there'll, there'll be these these adjustments. And so the the real key to directing actors is is careful uh, casting that you you really, understand that you you're casting these exquisite actors and and some of the best actors in this film have the smallest parts tiny tiny parts but i know i mean i i trained with sanford meisner i was an acting teacher while i've never worked with lucas on his acting i i did a lot with his baseball pitching and his uh as a kid and his basketball free throw and and his form because i was a big jock that way but i i've never ever coached him uh, nor my wife who was a broadway actress you know we do not work with him uh, sometimes we'll run lines if he asks but but they're always run without any direction or any acting notes um, that's always been his own thing and he has people he works with that he finds who help prepare him we've tried to keep that divide that's why him doing the film was a big deal because contrary to what everyone would imagine i i haven't been like Tiger Woods dad putting a golf club in his hand, you know, at 3. Although if I could if he could have turned into Tiger Woods, believe me, I would have been putting a golf club in his hand at 3 because then I could really retire, right? Anyway, I'm rambling. Sorry. But but it's a great question. I'm I am not a director who um has an absolute way that a moment needs to be performed because my films are always about the human condition and um I want to be surprised. That's not to say that I don't know what the scene's about. But but if I've written the scene well, it will it will lead actors where they need to go and then they will find their place their the, their way in in the doing. I think I leaned more in that direction because Lucas was acting in the film. Uh it doesn't mean that I didn't push many times for a bunch more takes, but I never tried to make him feel like it had to be done an exact certain way. Because I think th- my experience is that often uh, uh, forces an actor, uh, they become less of themselves. They become less full and vital in the scene because they're worried. They're worried about disappointing me. I want them to be engaged in the combat or the seduction or the or the play with the other actor. 
And I, you can really feel it in the film. You feel it with the, the, the relationship between Julia and Lucas in the film is, as Holly and Ben is, is I'm so thrilled with it because I've watched this film over and over in editing and I, I continue to see these nuanced moments, these alive moments between them. Did you rehearse with them? We, we flew, Lucas and I, and uh, flew to Malibu or flew west and um, we went to Julia's home, and Catherine Newton, who plays, the, gives an amazing performance as uh, Ivy, she was able to also come uh, to Julia's house. And for three days, we read um, in between cooking and Lucas surfing with Julia's kids and them jumping on the trampoline. And then Julia and I would do the dishes and talk. And then we would gather again. I'd play the ukulele. They'd go watch a movie. Julia and I would. So it wasn't a formal rehearsal process, but it was a way for them to get to know each other. Then I flew back to prep the movie. This was about two weeks before we started the film. Lucas ended up staying at Julia's house for several days. He stayed for Thanksgiving. They became great. They're, they're great friends. And, and Catherine, too. And then Courtney folded right in when he showed up on set. Um, we had a dinner right before we filmed, and I, I remember the dinner started, and I just kept backing my chair up so that pretty soon they were just having a dinner, and I just watched, and I saw this family form in moments. And you shot in Westchester County? Westchester and Rockland. Excellent. Yeah, so so we were, uh, the crew could live at home, um, and uh, but Julia, Lucas, Catherine, and I, we all lived up in a, kind of in the same hotel. It was It was fun. The um, the last one of the last questions I want to ask you before we go today, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to what's eating Gilbert Grape. Mm. You write a novel, yes, and you get to adapt the script. I know how nowadays that oh, that even it seems then, like, even but back then, wow, it was a wow, wow. I mean, I don't think John Grisham, no, even well, you know, it's interesting. What happened was the book, um came out and my agent said let's get a director and they kept everybody kept trying to attach American directors and I kept saying what about that my life as a dog guy I couldn't pronounce his name but I loved that film so much and this not you know it needs to be an American and I and and I said I keep saying my life as a dog guy well somehow a Swedish translator uh was hired to, it was the first language that was sold to be, translate the book into another language. And that translator had been Lasse Hallstrom's film teacher in film school. And he called him up and he said the magic words. And this is why Lasse Hallstrom got interested. Either you or Milos Forman needs to make a film of this book. If he'd said, you need to make a film of this book, he wouldn't have listened. But the minute he heard Milos Forman, he said, I must read this book. I have to get it before Milos Forman. So he read it, and he came to America, and he was being courted for all these big films. He was flying off to meet with Tom Hanks, and what was he going to do when a man and a woman, or the Andy Garcia, Meg Ryan film. He was up for a bunch of things, but I met with him, and he said, what, do you, what are your dreams? I said, well, I really want to make a film one day like my life as a dog. And he said, well, if you adapt this book for me, uh, it will be, I can be your film school. So I made a deal to adapt it at scale, and they paid me, for me, it was a fortune for the rights to the book. 
the producers, when they did this, knew that they would be letting me go in a moment, that I would do a draft, and they were already thinking of who they would bring on because this never works. But I did two really smart things. One, I made a deal that said, I will do all additional rewrites. I wasn't in the union yet, see? And I said, I'll do all additional rewrites for free. So I didn't cost anything. The second thing was I started to write and I went, I completely don't know what I'm doing. I've never written a movie before. So I called him up and I said, what if I came to Sweden and I, I'll sleep on your floor, I'll live anywhere, wherever you want to put me, but I will write and I just need to be near you. So I flew over to Sweden. They put me up in this very low rent hotel, which I actually loved. And he visited my me every day and I kind of shahrazaded him without you know, the romance, because um, he was dating Lena Olin and I was engaged. So there was nothing other than the, I'm sorry, I'm just going down this rabbit hole, embarrassing. But the point is that he would show up and I would pitch him a new version of the movie every day. And then he would say, I like this and I like this. And he would leave. And I'd spend the whole night, I'd stay up all night and I'd come up with a new version of the movie. And I did this for about a month. And then I started writing and writing. And the next thing I knew, Johnny Depp had read the book because Winona Ryder had given it to him because she loved the book. And he said, I wanted River Phoenix to do the film. He was my favorite young actor. And I said, we need River Phoenix to do this. And, and, and then we got this call that Johnny Depp had read the book and he would agree to do the film without even reading the script based on the book and because of Lasse Hallstrom. They also shared an agent. So the next thing we knew, we were in pre-production I hadn't even finished the script. And so I kept rewriting through pre-production, through filming. I was rewriting every day. I stayed in the hotel most of the time. I went to the set a bunch of times, but mostly I was in my hotel room. You were writing during production? Oh, yeah. Wow. The love story. I couldn't get the love story right. He even brought in two writers, very good writers, to write not with me. They came in for a little bit and left. And I stayed, and I stayed. I remember the last day when I was going home, the, one of the producers said to me, I, well, you did it. And I said, what? And he said, I can't believe you hung in there, but you, you hung in there. And I didn't know any different. I mean, but I learned so much. So it was such a thrill when we, the movie premiered in New York and sitting in the audience was Lasse Hallstrom. So and there he was, with, my with, first teacher. With DiCaprio, how did that... Yeah, that was great. That's a great story. I mean, story. talk about lightning in a bottle. Well, it, very much so. Uh, we we there was a young actor, a very prominent young actor at the time, who I, I was sure was going to get the role of Arnie. Uh, there was also some discussion of casting ac an actual actor who uh, had Down syndrome or autism because it was the novel was written to suggest that that um, Arnie had Downs, but but not um, but. But uh, Lassa said, you can't really cast a, 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 either the mother can be an actress in a, in a suit and, you know, we can't, we can't go real person twice. So we elected to go with, the, with Darlene as the mother, but we hadn't gone there yet. So we, we started auditioning young actors for Arnie and the, the, the prominent actor came in and gave a wonderful audition. I thought, he'll get it. But... Then he walked in, and the first thought was, Leonardo, he's too handsome for the part. I mean, he's just the most beautiful young man, too handsome for the part. And then he did his audition, and it was 
I mean, there it was. And it was just so evident. We'd heard that he'd done uh, this boy's life. Nobody'd seen it. So, you know, as happens um, with young actors, you know, you kind of know that people are starting to percolate. We knew John C. Riley was starting to percolate, you know, put him in the film. Crispin Glover had already had some great moments. But, you, you, you know, you, you can kind of, if your ears to the ground, you know, and Gail Levin was our casting director and so brilliant. But, but Leonardo just gave a, an audition that was so staggering and miraculous and that it, there was just no question it needed to be him. So it was pretty thrilling. But, you know, it was also thrilling then to watch Johnny um, give a performance that is equally staggering. It's just not, it's a different kind of acting and not the kind of acting we always honor that I would like to champion more. It's the, not always the most acting, but but there's no film without Johnny Depp as the anchor in that film. And and the two of them together were just... The way I... Honestly, the way I feel about watching Julia and Lucas in this film was whenever two actors just have that magic together, I... And cinema is filled with the history of those, you know, Lemon and Matthau and, and, and on and on. But when two people go at it and, and give to each other so much and play so truthfully moment to moment, it's a breathtaking, breathtaking thing. And that, and that on my very first film, when I had no business probably even being kept as a writer, I, I, I persisted, but... But I also was lucky that that Lassa, you know, kept me around, and and the fact that the film works on any level is still kind of miraculous um, and unimaginable to me when I think of what we felt when we were making it. But you know, you never know. William Goldman said nobody knows anything, and and we don't. None of us know anything, and all you know is that you make your best effort and you try to work with honor and with. Uh, gratitude and um, I feel immense gratitude for that experience and 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 certainly immense gratitude for the one I just got to have what uh, we usually close the show with advice mm. so wow. one piece of advice you can give to to write to to Persian to screenwriters sure aspiring I, it would it would be the some of the most helpful advice I was ever given it was uh, Sanford Meisner had been my acting teacher and he once said to me, um, Peter, do you want to be a good actor? And I said, well, yeah, but I really want to be a good writer. He said, okay, do you want to be a good writer? I said, yes. Do you want to uh, be an artist of life? I said, oh, absolutely. Do you want to learn how to love? I said, yes. I want all of those things. He said, 20 years. And then I said, I'm sorry. He said, 20 years. Anything worth doing well will take you 20 years to learn. And then he said, and in your case, Peter, maybe 21. But why I love that advice is uh, we live in a world where everything needs to happen quickly. We microwave our food. We want quick success. People become famous overnight. They're the big hot star. And then they're, he said, all that comes and goes. You can become rich, famous, successful. All of it comes and goes. You're not going to be accomplished for a long time. Malcolm Gladwell says it's 10,000 hours in his book, The Outliers. Um, 10,000 hours of practice. But it takes time. And I think, I think, I, I, 
I think it it's 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 it contradicts the the speed at which the world moves. But if you can actually stay in the mindset of a of a student, of a learner, someone who wants to grow and not get caught up in your idea of yourself as a fixed idea, like I'm talented, but no, keep in mind you work hard and that and that and and if you want to just be a servant to the to the form, to the to, to cinema or to storytelling and to be a part, you know, to take a, a small place at the table, the great table of art, then then hold on to this idea 20 years because because um, most people you'll 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 outlast a bunch of people um, because it takes a lot to hang in for 20 years. But if you know that that's how long it's going to take to become accomplished, then maybe you'll take a little pressure off yourself. Give yourself a little more of a break and 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 enjoy the enjoy the journey.